episode 124, Jake Jacobs. Hey, it's Nikki Llewellyn and you're on Gut Plus Science. This podcast is on a mission to increase engagement at work. And on this show, we equip CEOs and people first leaders of all levels to make impact. Let's get to it. Hey, Gut Plus Science listeners, it's Nikki. And today's episode is about co-creation and the power of this practice to drive engagement and collaborative workplaces that produce excellent results. I'm with Jake Jacobs, CEO and founder of Real-Time Strategic Change, a global consulting firm specializing in helping organizations create fast and lasting results. Jake is a best-selling author of three books. The most recent release this year is Leverage Change, Eight Ways to Achieve Faster, Easier, Better Results. You should add that to your list. And let's dig into some genius with Jake right now. Jake, welcome to Gut Plus Science. Okay, let's dig in. Aside from natural collaborators or humans who are wired to collaborate with others and not go at things alone from birth or as they are young in their leadership journey, let's talk about the other side. Tell us a typical pain scenario that acts as a tipping point or a catalyst for others in leadership to begin that journey of collaboration as a practice. Nikki, what I would say is most commonly what I've seen is leaders and organizations whose backs are against the wall. They may have tried other things to get it done on their own in the past, and sometimes that works or it works for a while. But my work is with large organizations and complex organizations, and doing it and going it alone doesn't work. Eventually, you need help. And so what I had was a client, here's a story that I had a client that I worked with, it was a telecom, and there were 12,000 people in it the week before they called me. When they called me, there were then 10,000 people in this organization. So they laid off 2,000 people in the week before they called me. And they said, okay, we want to move forward with the 10,000 and how can we do that? And I had a reputation for engaging large groups of people in, in roll up the sleeves working sessions. And so we went ahead and held a meeting. It was a session they had for a half day with 80 people on problem solving and they wanted to avoid more layoffs. And I knew that a half day problem solving with 80 people in a 10,000 person organization was not going to get the job done. But I took it on because I believed that it would be better for my having been there, which is one of the criteria I always used. And in that process, we did good work that day. We didn't solve the problem. But the CEO came into that meeting and we have a video of him standing in front of this group, mouthing the word, wow. And it blew his mind that you could get 80 people together. Later, we got 500 people together in this organization, both to define the mission, vision, and values, and then a second meeting so that they could get clear on how to translate that into daily behavior. So there was no way out for them facing the layoffs that they had. And so they needed a radical approach to make radical change. And they went down the collaboration path. I love that. Thank you for sharing that story. It's just so powerful. And I want to get just a little bit more clarity for our listeners so they know where we're going with this. Describe a leader who is excellent at co-creation. And you can either just rattle off descriptors or tell us a story of someone that you have in mind. You don't have to mention the name, but just illustrate what this looks like at an excellent level. 
I'm going to stay with the same story because the CEO of this organization had managed in a a monopoly-like environment. So innovation wasn't something that was needed, creativity, speed, quality, all of these things they didn't have to pay attention to because the customer had nowhere else to go. It was a telephone and, and cable operator. And what Dan did, and to his credit, was what I think is the most important thing for a collaborative leader to do, which is listen. And ask an honest question of your organization and then listen to the answer. And sometimes I work with leaders who are nervous about this because what if I don't like the answer is one of the first questions that I get. And what am I going to do if I don't like the answer? And my response to that is you got to have a conversation with the organization. If you see things differently than they do, you have to listen to really understand where they're coming from, what matters to them, why. What do they know that you don't know? And then just as much, you need to take a stand for what you believe. So the kind of listening I'm talking about is not one way. It's two way. And that's where collaboration comes from, is that there's both as much inquiry as there is advocacy. I am as curious about what you have to say as people in the organization, as I have a right and responsibility to advocate for my own point of view. And out of that discussion, out of that tension, come better answers. And that's where I think true collaboration lies, that it's not about participation. And like, there's a there's a shallow version of it, which is like, we've got to listen to people in the organization and be more participative. Yes, and the people in the organization need to listen, and you also need to speak. And therein, I think, lies the secret sauce for collaboration. So, Jake, I'd love to know why co-creation is core to your practice. Where did that come from? For me, Nikki, I have always been driven by potential. And I mean, this goes back, I, I happened to play basketball in high school. And I, I uh, had this thing where if we played to our potential, I would never be upset when we lost. And we happened to play in the league with the state champions. And we lost to them. We lost twice. And I said, I still don't think we played to our potential. So I believe that reaching down deep and doing the best that you can, John Wooden, also a basketball coach said that success was the self-satisfaction of knowing that you had done your best. And this man won 10 out of 12 NCAA championships and was known as the greatest basketball coach in college. And yet he never talked about winning. He never used the word win and he never encouraged his teams to win. He encouraged them to play to their potential. So this word's always been important to me at an individual level. And when you put that into organizations, for an organization to reach its full potential, it has to be a collaborative organization. It has to be a learning organization and one that teams rule the day. It isn't going to be done alone. told you before we got started with your listeners that I co-authored a book called You Don't Have to Do It Alone, How to Involve Others to Get Things Done. So this whole notion of working together has been ingrained in me ever since I was young. And now I think I've translated it into my life's work consulting with organizations. 
And I'd love to drop a link to your book in the show notes. So listeners go ahead and look for that and highly encourage checking that out on a deeper level. Before we start sharing how to develop a co-creation path, I want to describe an organization's feel or the way they work when they don't embrace co-creation, because I want to make sure that we help people identify and nip that if it's happening and is their reality right now. So talk to us about what that looks like when co-creation is not happening. It feels like this looks like this. I think in some ways it feels like a lonely place. I think it feels like the kind of organization where you carry an extra burden, where you have a heavier load than you rightfully deserve, where there is a lot of blame and finger pointing because I'm not in it with you. I'm in it against you. So that notion of, you know, we're counting on you. Well, That's okay when you say that to a group of people, but when you say it to an individual, the level of anxiety is high, the level of frustration is high, the level of performance is low. And so I think you can tell organizations that are not collaborative because people are leaving them. Recruitment and retention is one of the biggest issues that organizations face and the whole talent war and all of the things about what people are there in your organization. And and I don't believe most people stick around for an uncollaborative organization. They don't want to spend their life in a place that is lonely, frustrating, and, and filled with conflict because it's a it's an us versus them mentality instead of a we mentality. And you know, you said something really profound that just is coming to life in a scenario that I was just having a phone call around. So I want to share that, you know, if we're working on, we're going to eliminate blame or we're going to eliminate finger pointing in our organization. This is just no more tolerance, right? We're not doing this. It's much deeper than that. Like there, there's a foundation that's laid to then help those things not happen. And this is one way of doing that. If we lay the foundation of a co-creative workplace that's very much embracing teamwork and collaboration, then blame and finger pointing are not going to be happening very often, right? Versus just saying, we're going to nip these things in the butt. We have to go back to like, what is the foundation we're laying? And what you and I are going to talk about now is how do we create that path for co-creation? Like how do companies get started? And I want you to start to take us down that journey. One thing that I would say is a benefit of a collaborative organization is that there is a built-in forgiveness factor. And what I mean by forgiveness factor is that if you come up short, and and we do, I mean, organizations come up short all the time, but the question is when we come up short, if we've done it together, then together we find a way out. And if we've done it alone, that's where the finger pointing and that's where the blame comes in. So this whole forgiveness factor, I think, is a huge benefit of a collaborative organization. And how do you start down that path is with intention. And you start as a leader by saying, this is what I want to create and being as clear as you can, but then also inviting. So actually being collaborative about creating a collaborative organization. Let me say that again. How you create the organization counts. And if I take an autocratic approach to creating a collaborative organization, well, you're stuck at the starting line. You've never gotten off the blocks. So having that be an ongoing conversation in the organization that says, well, what does it look like to you? 
and have people do interviews with each other about what does a collaborative organization look like and what does that mean my skills and my abilities and my behaviors need to look like? What mindsets do I need to adopt? So it's both something that individuals take responsibility for, but also leadership takes responsibility. So starting with this is what I think is, I think, one of the key things we count on from leadership is that first voice that says, I think we need to start looking like this. And then they be quiet. Then you're quiet because you've got to let people speak back to you in a way that they feel heard and understood. And so the notion of how do you create a collaborative organization, when I say you do it collaboratively, I'm I'm not making light of it. I'm saying that you have to co-create that kind of future for your organization, or you're like wrong on the concept before you even get started. That's so good. I wrote down, you must collaborate to create a collaborative workplace. When you were talking that that was a note I just took. And I think to go a little deeper here, just to set the tone, it's not an overnight thing. This takes a lot of time because you have to get input and create the plan with people's buy-in and ideas. Can you talk a little bit about just setting the understanding of how much time this does take realistically and what that looks like to formulate a collaborative workplace because you've got to have people collaborate to create it. What I'm going to say about this, Nikki, is is to get a little bit into my book, Leverage Change. And in the Leverage Change book, we have eight levers or uh, strategic actions. And one of them deals with the problem of change being too slow. And I think that this is what you're speaking to is the question of how much patience should I have or do I need to have in order to create this kind of organization? And my belief based on this leverage change approach is you don't need as much time as most people believe. And the reason is because of this lever or strategic action that I crafted, and it's called think and act as if the future were now. And what that means is that if I have some image of what that future looks like, some picture of what collaboration looks like, if I think and act as if that were true today, then my choices and my behavior shift immediately. So if I want to have a more collaborative team and I say, well, one of the things I'm going to do in that future is I'm going to listen more. I'm going to ask more questions. I'm going to listen more and I'm going to integrate people's thinking. Then in the very next conversation I have with a team member, I need to reflect that behavior and ask those questions. The next team meeting that we have, when we're sitting around the circle, we have to change the agenda. We have to change how we're interacting with each other, not that we're going to do it in the future at some later point in time. I'm talking about shifting your paradigm so that the future is now. And that messes with a lot of things around quantum physics, and we can get into alternative realities. But the mindset that people have about how long they have to wait, I believe, has a a lot to do with how long they do wait. Okay, so now I'm really intrigued by these leadership levers. And so I'm thinking if you could rattle them off and then I want to figure out how we can dig in on a couple because we only have limited time, but I'm so intrigued by the first one you mentioned. So can you give us a little teaser? Sure. So when there's too much change, we pay attention to continuity. 
When it takes too long, we think and act as if the future were now. When people reject your change approach and say, well, you know, is it, have you done it here? Have you done it with our size organization, our team? Then you need to design it yourself. And that means getting a plan for your own change effort, what your purpose, outcomes, and, and roadmap are. Often in organizations, people don't know enough to make good decisions. So they make uninformed, unstrategic decisions. And then people look and say, well, we never should have given them that responsibility in the first place. So there's a lever I created called create a common database. And what that means is we've got to get smart collectively as an organization about the issues and opportunities we're facing. And then everybody in the organization makes informed strategic decisions and alignment Alignment comes for free. All change efforts must begin from the top. If you get a book, you go to a course, you listen to a lecture, everybody's going to tell you you got to get senior leadership support, except for me. What I'm going to tell you is start your change work where there's impact and then follow the energy from there. So look, where is it that you can make the biggest impact? Sometimes it's where it's easy to make change. Sometimes it's where it's tough. And people will say, hey, they're taking it serious this time. They're going after these tough nuts to crack. But that notion of starting with impact instead of following a formula that says, here's six steps, start at the top. So many ask, what's in it for me? So this is a problem with, they call WIFM in my clients. Why, when people are doing this enlightened self-interest, like wh why should I buy into this? And my belief is that you develop a future people want to call their own. And if I develop that kind of future, then people don't worry about what's in it for them anymore. They see what's in it for them and they're motivated to help create that future. Number seven People get to only do the routine work of their regular jobs. And so this is what most organizations are filled with, is people doing their day job. And for many people, doing it excellently is very rewarding. So I'm not saying that people should do a lousy job. But what I am saying is that there are unique opportunities when we're bringing about change, when we're creating our collective future. And so finding opportunities for people to make a meaningful difference is another one of the levers that deals with this routine job and being locked into only doing that. Where are there meaningful opportunities? The more we can create for the more people, the better. And then finally, this one is true at every organization I've ever been in, and I believe it's going to be true for you too and for all of your listeners, which is people's plates are full. And because they're full, they have too much to do and they don't have time for change. So I designed a lever that's called Make Change Work Part of Daily Work. And this says that we don't need to have separate change efforts. There don't have to be huge initiatives that many times using the Japanese Kaizen, we can make small changes on a continual basis that lead to transformation over the long haul. But rather than putting something else on somebody's plate that's already full, what we do is integrate it into the daily work that people are doing anyway. So today, I wish I knew shorthand like my mother because I couldn't write fast enough in order to capture all of that because it was so good. The great thing about podcasts is podcasts are you can just rewind, go back. Okay, caught that, caught that. But here's the thing that I just took away, and I'm curious what you will say to this question. Follow me for a second. You said 
as a leader, follow the energy around what's making impact and go with that, something along those lines. And I love that. And I think it's so good to encourage rather than do this, do the next thing, do the next thing, find that thing that your workplace, which every workplace is unique because they're human beings and whatever they're adopting and getting energy around. Like, I love that idea of follow that path. Now, when you said, and I don't know if these were two different levers, but one of them said, you said something like develop a future that people want to call their own. And then another one was around making meaningful impact. First of all, are those two separate levers that I just mentioned? You got three of them. Start with impact, follow the energy, develop a future people want to call their own and find opportunities for people to make a meaningful difference. Those are three separate levers. Okay. So all of us are going to want to dive into your book to get into all of these, but I'm curious if you were to pick the one that you see the most energy typically come from that propels change. I'm going to guess that getting people visually bought in or embracing the future that they want to call their own would be the one that's like, oh, that typically lights the fire. That takes the trump card, if you will. But I'd love for you to chime in on which one do you see that if if you were to say, focus on this one because typically it lights people up? So first of all, you know, they work together and apart. So you can use more than one lever at a time. But the one that I think has the most profound impact and the most immediate impact and this is one your listeners can take out and they they can, as soon as they finish this podcast, the very next thing they do in the organization to think and act as if the future were now to get some image of what they want to be creating. It could be with a colleague, with their team, with the whole organization, with a particular change effort, some picture of what they want to create and then step back and say, okay, if that were my reality right here and right now, what choices would I make? Who would I be talking to? What conversations would we be having? How would we be making decisions? What criteria would we use? Because what that tends to do, Nikki, is it blurs the line between the present and the future. That if I'm thinking and acting as if the future were now, well, the future is occurring as I'm behaving. And so rather than waiting for it and saying it's something out there and we'll get there someday, I mean, even people who have, you know, vision 2025, I think that there's a flawed assumption in that because it invites people to wait till 2025 to get to that vision. And so when I work with clients, what I talk to them about and I say, you know, we can cut the time of whatever you're going to be doing in half or more. And they say, well, how, how can you guarantee that? How can you believe that? And I've asked them, well, how long have you set aside for this change to take hold? And they tell me and I say, all right, now let's assume it's half that time. What do we need to start doing differently here and now so that we can accelerate the pace of change? And I have yet to find an organization that hasn't been able to cut that cycle time in half with that shift in paradigm, which leads to behavior shifts, which leads to result shifts. Okay, Jake, so how can a leader incorporate that into a powerful question? Think and act as the future is now is what I'm referring to into a powerful question in a one-on-one -on -one meeting with their direct report where they use their proactive listening. They're using the, you know, I'm, I'm really practicing my great listening skills here and accelerating employee engagement in this one-on-one. -on -one. What does that powerful question looks like that illustrates think and act as the future is now. Nikki, I just have to pause and 
say thank you. I think these questions are excellent, and I think they are the kind of questions that listeners are going to want to hear answers to. So thank you for asking such excellent questions. I think that the simple conversation that that leader has is they all they have to say is, in the future that you prefer, what am I saying and what are you saying in this conversation that reflects that vision that we have of a future that we prefer. And if I start to think and act that way, then that very conversation becomes part of grabbing the future and pulling it into the present. So rather than waiting and walking into the future, I want people to reach out, grab some piece of the vision and bring it into today and start making that real in every way that they can. I think we just left the world a little bit better. Now, people go do something with it because if all of us took that and incorporated that into our direct report meetings as we are leading our people to help them get a vision on what they're going to do to act on things that propel them into the future they want, right? And the workplace is the medium to do that. Like we are changing the world. So with that, this has been such a great episode. I highly recommend um, going to the show notes and digging into Jake's book further. Cause obviously you're probably like me and trying to either jot notes or you're rewinding because this is just so full of great information. Jake, thank you for such an inspiring episode. We're going to take a quick break here from our sponsor message today. And we'll be back with what we call our lightning round on gut plus science, where we get to learn just a little bit more about the personal side of you. We'll be right back. Gut Plus Science has just joined the People Forward Network. Gut Plus Science has been on a journey for three and a half years, and we got inspired to create a global podcast network that captures the most incredible efforts of people-first leaders and humans working on a meaningful mission. We believe that the workplace is the largest mission field for change, and the People Forward Network is the largest community of humans on a shared journey to live life Full of meaning. We'd love for you to join the People Forward Network. There are all kinds of new shows and existing shows coming together under one umbrella to bring you the best content as a community on a mission. Can't wait for you to join us. See the link to peopleforwardnetwork.com in the show notes. All right, I'm back on Gut Plus Science. It's Nikki with Jake Jacobs, and it's been an incredible episode. Just so many awesome ideas to inspire engagement and make change happen in work, in, in our workplace. Jake, I have some questions for you. So the first one's usually a tough one. What's your favorite book of all time or a favorite recent read? If you've got to pick just one book. So for me, I go to Henry David Thoreau and civil disobedience. And I speak to this because I think what Thoreau was saying is we all need to take responsibility for our voice that we can find organizations that welcome it. But at the end of the day, if we're not standing up with our own sense of whatever civil disobedience is, without sharing our own point of view, then change doesn't happen with integrity. It happens at somebody else's direction. And if we sit back and we complain about not liking it, then I say, look in the mirror. And I think Henry David Thoreau would say the same thing to us. What's your favorite hobby when you're not working? I have a 100-pound black lab. His name is Theo, short for Thelonious Monk. And we take walks in this enormous field. And so he is literally my best friend. And every day, about four or five, he gives me a look. And he starts saying, 
we need to go to the field. So he brings balance to my life. And uh, as a big black lab, you can also wrestle with him, which is also a great hobby. What is your favorite vacation spot? I'm going to say, Nikki, put me on a beach next to the ocean with really blue water, a nice drink in my hand, and my partner in everything, I call her Amy, lying next to me. That is uh, about as close to Nirvana as I'm going to get. And how can our listeners connect with you after the show today? The best way is go directly to my website, and it's jakejacobsconsulting.com. And on there, I invite them to grab, there's a free ebook on 27 ways to achieve faster, easier, better results immediately. And it takes each of the levers that I've described and gives you three or four specific concrete actions that you can take right here and now to be able to gain the leverage of that lever to get faster, easier, better results, which is the subtitle to the book. Jake, I had a fun time with you and so many great takeaways for our listeners. Here's my truth you can act on. Number one, eliminate all the blame and finger pointing. It is a key illustrator that you're missing collaboration, which means you're probably going at work alone. Number two, reminder, in order to build a collaborative workplace, collaborating as a practice has to be in place. And number three, think and act as the future is now. Consider how you can incorporate that statement into a behavior like practicing this in your one-on-one meetings with your team members. And wow, how powerful could this be to driving their engagement? Think and act as the future is now. We just left the world a little bit better. Now go do something with it.